Thank you for joining us here at Prevail Church for this podcast. We hope this experience builds your faith and impacts your life. For more information about Prevail Church, visit us online at prevail.tv. Now let's tune in. Today I'm preaching a message called All I Do Is Win. Somebody say, All I Do Is Win. We'll try it again. Say, All I Do Is Win. Uh, now, we, uh, we can all be honest, and we can be ver- very real, and we can say, you know, that statement and the title of this message, Fred, doesn't make any sense, because in reality, all I do is probably not win most of the time. Come on, somebody. Anybody ever feel like that? Or you can at least say, I don't win all the time. Come on. I win sometimes, but all I do is win is a bit stretching it. Come on, right? Um, and um, actually, this song is probably one of my uh, favorite songs. It's a secular song, okay, guys? Okay? There's clean versions and non-clean versions. Don't go listen to the non-clean version. They tell you I said I told you to listen to it, okay? But... Uh, it's a good. It's a song that I like because it's, it's got a nice chorus. It just says, "Every time I step up in the building, everybody hands go up. All I do is win, win, win." Somebody say, "All I do is win." And uh, while it's a great thought to have, it's probably not always true to us and how we feel. Amen. But according to the word of God, it's a very true statement. There's scriptures over and over that kind of prove to us that no matter what we're facing on the other side of it, God calls us victorious. Somebody said victorious. What do you mean? I mean, the Bible is very clear that I am a victor, not a victim. Y'all, gonna, y'all got to talk to me this morning. Come on, do not let me be up here by myself. What's up with y'all? Everybody like, I know it's raining outside. Come on, it ain't raining. Well, part of the building is raining inside, so I uh, <coughs> can't use that one. Um, all I'm saying is God has called us to be, has called us, not called us to be, but he has called us as, I, this is a, a statement of identity. All right? This is not something you do. He has called you a victor. He has called you victorious. He has called and claimed that you have the victory. The Bible's very clear that at the end of it, we win. Somebody say, we win. We win. You get to Revelation, and Revelation reveals that we Win. Come on, somebody. I like to say it like this. Revelation says we prevail. Come on. Hey. All we do is win. All I do is win. Amen? Now, let, I mean, we, we got to be real now because it ain't always true, right? Come on, right? You, you feel me, right? She's looking at me like, yep. I'm, I feel the same way. Turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 17. We're going to read verses 33 through 37. We're going to read from the New King James Version today. All the holy people 
uh, you can realize that I didn't stray off too far. I used New King James, if not, then amen. <laughs> they like, you better use that KJV. And it says this, and Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth, and he is a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep, and when a lion or bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I called it by his beard and struck it and killed it. Somebody said, struck it and killed it. David's a bad boy. Come on now. He said, your servant has killed both lion and bear. This uncircumcised Philistine would be like one of them, seeing he has defiled the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he would deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. In other words, Saul said, bless your heart. <laughs> Lord, thank you for what you're going to say this morning. I pray you speak to me in Jesus' name. Amen. Does it bother you when someone says you can't do something or you shouldn't do something? I don't know about y'all, but when somebody tells me I can't do something or I shouldn't do something, it's usually cold for me to try it. That didn't work well for me when I was younger and I was a child and my mom would say, don't do something. And I would still do it. Because then she would follow that up with a, I told you not to. Now I'm going to spank you. These kids nowadays don't know what spankings are, okay? When I got spankings, it left marks. Come on, somebody. I ain't going to say too much because I don't want the police to go get my mama while she's preaching today, okay? When I got spankings growing up, you didn't walk for a couple days afterwards, right? You, you second-guessed everything after that. Like, you wouldn't even say hey to your mom after getting the kind of spankings I got. I'd be like, hey, can I say hey to you? And she'd be like, you better not say hey to me, boy. And I'm just kidding. But when she would say, I shouldn't do something or I couldn't do something, most of the time in my rebellious nature, I would say, I'm going to try it. Anyway, you can't tell me what to do. You don't know who I am. You don't blah, blah, blah. You get what I'm saying? So does anybody resonate with that? Do you ever feel like, oh, man, if when people tell me I can't do something, that is typically cold for me to be like, oh, no, no. You, you get what I'm saying? You ever been told that? Right, right. They're like, I'm trying to help you. You're like, you're challenging me, bro. <laughs> you're like... Don't go in the fire. The fire is mine. You know, you're like, right, right? I've been told many times, Fred, you shouldn't do this, and Fred, you shouldn't do that. Now, while sometimes 
it's misguided by my rebellious nature. Other times, it is part of my identity as a son and daughter of Christ. Are you hearing me? Sometimes we can be misguided by certain things. And see, here's the difference between being misguided by a rebellious nature and understanding who you are in Christ. Because when you understand who you are in Christ, you also will understand who you need to listen to and who you don't need to listen to. Okay, it's quiet. That's fine. That's fine. All right, I got this. So y'all going to make me work a little hard today. Okay, I get it. All right, so, so when you understand who you are in Christ, when your mama says don't do it, you understand that mama is a voice that I need in my life right now to tell me that I shouldn't be doing it. Come on. Amen. Amen. Right? My mama telling me not to do something is different from my aunt telling me not to do something. Sometimes. My mama telling me to do something is different from my... No, it's not different from my grandma telling me because my grandma was worse than my mom with the spankers, all right? My mom would spank us and then she would drive us to my grandmother's house who would then spank us. It was like she was the icing on the cake, right? She was like the, the, uh, the guest spanker, right? She was like the person that was the ultimate spanker, right? She was the tag team partner, like The Rock. I just got beat up by The Rock, and then she, gonna, she calls in The Undertaker to finish her off. You know what I'm like? That, that was, you, you guys don't know what I'm talking about. My grandma had this, this strap of carpet. Y'all, 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 boy, t- y'all, if y'all, I'm going to do a podcast. I should just do a podcast just on spankings one time. You'll be like, ooh, wow. Your mama and grandma, I don't know should be in jail, boy. They should. They should. I tell my mama all the time, mama, you would be arrested today. One time my little brother went to school and told the counselor, he did something before school, my mom spanked him. He went to school, told the counselor, my mom spanked him. She sent the, the counselor sent the police to the house. I was out of school sick, sent the police to the house. And my mom looked at the office and said, I'm a single mom raising three boys by myself. Do you really have a problem with me whooping my child? And I was like, no. She goes, I just want you to know he's going to get another whooping because you came to my house. <laughs> she wasn't no joke. Y'all think y'all playing, boy. My one time here, I ain't gonna go down these stories. I gotta tell you this one, just this one, right? Me and my brother leaving the store, and and he was driving, and he didn't have lights on, and the officer said, turn your lights on, and he said, thank you. And the officer thought he said something else. And and followed us to the house, lights blaring, my mom comes out, what's going on? And my brother's like, I don't know, you know, this officer's just, you know, going off on us and then we were like no he said thank you and you know so it was a whole thing and then my mom was like boy I'm gonna whoop you <laughs> why because you had the police come to my house <laughs> I said mama leave us alone we still got a whooping though wasn't even our fault it was like a precursor don't ever mess with the police um, I, I said all that to illustrate that you know, sometimes I don't like when people tell me I shouldn't do it and I couldn't do it, but when I understand who I am in relation to the person telling me 
what I should or shouldn't do. I understand what my next action should be. Amen? And we, we get into this story um, because, uh, you know, a lot of us can resonate with us. It bothers me when someone tells me I can't do something or I shouldn't do something. It's even more bothersome to me when, you, when I really want to prove them wrong. Come on. Right? I want to prove them wrong, but I know deep down inside they're probably right. You ever had that? Somebody said, you should do something, and you're like, I just want to prove you wrong, but I know, I know this is going to end in disaster. I have many, uh, many times in life felt like the underdog. I felt like the underdog. Whether it's not being smart enough or or, or good-looking enough, or not the right skin color, come on, or short enough, or tall enough, or well-versed enough, or uh, whatever it may be enough, we've all felt like we were the underdog and not enough. Amen? But I want to let you know something. There's, there's power in understanding who you are, and there's power, and as I put it in, in my notes, in being the underdog. Man? To be truthful is something exhilarating to all of us about being counted out. It's something exhilarating to all of us about being looked over because we know the harder the story, the greater the glory. Amen? I love it when I'm watching a movie and there's a clear winner in everybody's mind, but the underdog shows up and tells everybody differently. I love the story of a person who should not win, but somehow they end up winning. The harder the story, the greater the glory. And there's something exhilarating about knowing that when people are counting you out, on the other end, God has counted you in. When people are pushing you away, God has brought you close. Come on, somebody. There's something exhilarating about knowing that when people reject you, that God has already accepted you. Fully accepted. Amen? And we find in our scripture today a story like such. Saul and the Israelites are facing the Philistine in the valley of Elah. Listen to this, twice a day for 40 days, twice a day for 40 days, morning and evening, Goliath, the champion of the Philistine, he would come out between the lines and challenge the Israelites to send out a champion on their own to decide the outcome of a single battle. So the way they fought is they would have a representation of each group, a champion from each group come out and battle one another and win whoever won would decide the fate of the war. Are you catching this? So every day for 40 days, the Philistines 
would send out Goliath and he would taunt the Israelites. He would laugh. He would make fun of them. He would make them feel less than. He would make them feel fearful. And he would send your champion. Send me somebody that I can fight. Send somebody twice a day for 40 days. They had to hear from someone who was calling them on a battle that they were unprepared to fight themselves. Twice a day, they had to hear from somebody who would come and challenge them over and over on the basis of who they are and tell them, you ain't got nobody strong enough to fight me. I'm going to win no matter what. Twice a day, their giant stood in front of them to remind them that they wasn't ready. Twice a day. And he would challenge the Israelites to send out a champion of their own to decide the outcome in a single battle. But Saul was afraid. And David, this young, rooty, redhead kid. Come on, somebody say redhead kid. David was bringing food to his oldest brothers because they were in the, the battle. And as he's bringing food, he hears Goliath Taunting the Israelites. He hears that Goliath has defied the armies of the living God. And he hears of the reward from Saul that the one that defeats him and accepts the, uh, and accepts the challenge, that, that there will be a reward for him. Right? So David, in his, you shouldn't be told, you shouldn't be doing this. You can't do this. David goes to Saul and he says, hey, 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 I'll fight him. And Saul's like, hey, bro, so about that. Um, first thing is you should probably wear my armor. David's like, I can't. I can't fight with your armor. Your armor's too big for me. I can't fight with your armor. Come on, somebody. I want to pause right there and just say, you know, we got to stop fighting with everybody else's strategy. Come on. You got to learn how to lean into the Lord and fight with what God is giving you. What's in your hand? Come on now. Your experiences create for you weapons, if you look at it. Because when you go through a trial, you know how to win that battle on the other side of it. Amen. Anybody ever went through something? And then you look back and you're like, okay, I learned what I needed to learn in that time. And so when a new giant comes that looks like that, you have learned what to do in that situation. Come on, somebody. And so he goes and, 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 and he's like David. Uh, David's like, Saul, I'm going to fight him. And Saul's like, you, should, you, you, you can't, bro. Like, it's just possible. Like, you, you shouldn't and you can't. You, you're not able to. You're not able to go to, you are too young. You are not well trained. You are not prepared for this battle. You are not who 
you, you're just not able. You're not a match for this giant. And this is what Paul, Saul is saying to David. He's saying over and over, bro, you're not able to. You're not, you, you can't do this. What is your problem? What makes you think that you and your youthful self are able to fight this giant? You're not able to because you're youth. And as a matter of fact, this man is not just any old kind of man. He's a man who's been fighting and training for war since he was your age. What makes you think you're going to win, David? You're not able to fight this giant. And David, unlike many of us, when we hear about the size of our giant and back down, David says, no, no, no. I got experiences and things that you don't know about that prepared me for this day. I've gone through some stuff and dealt with some stuff and won some battles that you were unaware of, Saul, because you were not there at my father's house when I was fighting off lions and bears and other things that were going on, trying to attack when I was protecting his flock. You were not there for that. And so you don't know what I'm actually prepared for. You think just because he trained for war that I didn't train, but my battles produced in me a warrior spirit, and now I'm ready to fight this giant come on somebody Saul reluctantly agrees and offers his armor which David declines taking only his staff a sling and five stones from a brook and then David and Goliath confront each other Goliath with his armor and javelin and David with his staff and slings And then the Philistine, as the Bible calls it, uh, cursed David by his gods. And David replied by this. He says, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and I will give the dead bodies of the host to the Philistines this day, to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know there is a God in Israel and now all in this assembly may know that God saves not with sword and spear, but for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. This giant is cursing David. He's reminding David. He's telling David how much he's not ready. And David responds with the word of the Lord. I am not fighting you. This ain't my battle. (laughs) Some of us need to learn how to look at that giant and say, you know what? You see me, but you ain't fighting me. Come on, somebody. Huh? David goes, hey, hey, I know you see a little boy, but you should have fight the Lord, son. <laughs> you better get yourself together because if you think all your height and your training for war and all this stuff is going to save you from God, you have missed completely who God is. And not only is this fight going to destroy you, not only am I going to kill you, not only is he going to deliver you into my hand, not only am I going to cut your head off. Come on, somebody. 
But when it's all said and done, I am going to walk away and people are going to know that there's a real God in Israel because you need to understand that when I fight you, I'm not fighting on my own behalf. And when I fight you, no, I'm not prepared and no, I'm not ready. And no, I may not be good enough and no, I may not be uh, uh, well versed enough and no, it may not be what I should be doing. But if God is involved, you better believe I'm already victorious. Amen. So David hurls a stone from his sling and hits Goliath in the center of his forehead. And Goliath falls on his face to the ground and David cuts off his head. And the Philistines flee and are pursued by the Israelites as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron. And David puts the armor of Goliath in his own tent and takes the head to Jerusalem. And Saul sends Abner to bring, him, bring the boy to him. Listen now. And the king asks, whose son is he? And David answers, I am a son of your servant, Jesse. I want to break down a couple things and then I'm, I'm, I'm going to close this message, all right? I know it seems to look like it's moving a little slow, but rock with me for a minute. Let's talk about Goliath's height. He was known as a giant. Somebody say a giant. A giant. According to my kids, I'm a giant when I stand next to my dog, Oliver. Because Oliver is tiny. Yep. Goliath's stature is described in the various ancient manuscripts. Uh, varies. The oldest manuscript, which is the Dead Sea, uh, Dead sea Scrolls, they all give his height it's four cubits and a span, which would be about six feet, nine inches. Just a little bit taller than me. So I guess I am a giant. Whereas the uh, Masoretic text gives this as six cubits and a span, which is about nine feet and nine inches. Six cubits and a span is expressed as six cubits and a hand breadth in the Geneva Bible, which is not nine feet, four ounces. So basically, David was possibly nine feet, maybe ten feet tall. He's a big old dude. Okay? Uh, but it's also very well accepted by most scholars that he was actually more like six feet, nine inches. So we hear giant, we think 10 feet, but he was probably more a little, just a little bit taller than me, okay? He was a Philistine, so he was very scruffy. He was very uh, rough around the edges. He was trained for war. This dude probably looked like Chris Hemsworth. <laughs> Come on, somebody. <laughs> if you've uh, watched Thor, Love and Thunder, come on. This guy was ripped. Somebody say ripped. ripped. Kind of like Dwayne Johnson. I'm messing with my wife now. Come on, somebody. Y'all, Aaron's 
celebrity crush is Dwayne Johnson. So if he ever visits the church, pray for me. Just kidding. Um, he was very much trained and very much ready to fight a battle. David was not. He's described as a Rudy boy, small in stature, not ready to fight a giant. However, there are other things that suggest that David, although he wasn't ready, he was experienced. Somebody say experienced. And in the times where we don't see David, we understand there's growth in his life. This time is what we would label as obscurity. Somebody say obscurity. And we have to learn how to grow when we're not being seen. We have to learn how to grow when the battle won't bring us attention. Come on, somebody. We got to learn how to be okay with growth when things don't seem to go the way they should be going. I have to learn how to grow behind the scenes. Amen. I love a song by uh, Lecrae. It's called, I Can Be the Background. And he talks about being in the background and while God does his thing, that he doesn't need to be out front. He doesn't need to be seen. But there's something significantly powerful about learning and growing in God and in Christ and knowing who you are when nobody sees your battle, when nobody sees your struggle, when nobody knows the problems you face, the storm you're going through. It is when you have the victories that nobody know about, you have the victories that everybody gets to see. Are you catching what I'm saying? You have to learn how to win in obscurity so you can win when everybody's looking at you. And a lot of times we find right now in the world when we see failure, at the, especially in the church, listen, listen, when we see these preachers failing and they're doing all this, because they didn't learn how to win battles behind the scene. And it's difficult to fight public battles when you can't win private And here's the problem. Here's the thing. Listen, listen. Fighting a private battle means you have to know who you are. Because you can't be fake when you know it's just you. Oh, it got real quiet in the house of the Lord. We can't be fake when nobody's looking. Amen. When you understand who you are, it is in the times when nobody sees you, nobody hears you, that you begin to develop the will to fight. And David grows in obscurity. David grows 
in the background. David grows when nobody's looking, nobody's paying any attention. David grows by learning to fight lion and bear. See, it can be said that the greatest fight of your life will be the Goliath that you fight. But I submit to you the greatest fight of your life will be the lion and bear that you defeat. Many times we focus on Goliath not realizing that we've lost the battle to the lion and the bear. The lion and the bear are probably more important than Goliath. Now, I am not here to talk about your giant or your lion and your bear. I want to talk about who you are. Because if we learn how to grow and we learn who we are, we learn to grow in obscurity. Come on, somebody. We learn how to fight no matter who's looking and who's not looking. We learn how to fight when people reject us. We learn how to fight when people let us down, when people disappoint us, when people turn their backs on you and walk away from you. You learn how to fight in the midst of all that. You learn how to stand and declare the word of the Lord that I am who God says I am. No matter what the opinion of man is and what this person says. Now there's some people I listen to and some people I need to, I give my ear to, but I am not going to let everybody determine who I am. Come on, somebody. I'm not going to let everybody tell me that I can't or that I shouldn't or that I need to take some time or I need to do this. I am not here to argue and fight with every voice that comes to me that tries to tell me that I'm not good enough. The devil is a liar. I am who God called me to be. I am the Lord's son. I am God's chosen one. I am God's. Come on, somebody. So he grows in obscurity. Somebody say obscurity. And I learned this, I learned something just reading the scriptures, something that's a couple things that stuck out to me and I want to talk to you about them, all right? And that is this, first of all, is obscurity will define relationships. Somebody say define relationships. Oh, listen, I'm going to tell you something. In the seasons where you're not seen, you begin to know who is for you and who is not for you. Are you catching me? In the seasons where you ain't all that and a bag of chips to everybody in the world, you learn who is for you. See, the problem is uh, many of us, when we're doing well, we think the relationships that show up when we're doing well are the most valuable. And a lot of times they are not. They're only there because you're doing well. But the moment you drop the ball, they gone. And you got to watch out for everybody that comes to you and says, I'm in here for the long haul. Because the long haul is a long haul. Come on, somebody. Are you feeling me? And if we going a long way and we hauling a lot, sometimes you ain't going to like me. And if you can't stick with me then, obscurity will define relationships. 
when you are working through it all, when you are discovering and learning, come on somebody, that is when you begin to know who to trust and who is for you. I've been learning this principle in, in business. They've been talking about these things. They were talking about during the seasons of, 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 of a startup where you might have to pivot, you begin to learn who your team is. Come on, somebody. Because everybody can't handle a pivot. Everybody can't handle a sudden change. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Hold on, wait a minute, bruh. Obscurity will define relationships. When you don't have it all together and people stick with you, them are the people that you need to stick with you. Come on. When you don't have it all together and people say, I still love you and I still want to be around you and I still believe in you and I still want to see God's best for you, them are the people that you need to keep in your life. Not the people that say, well, you got to do this before I stay here. Or you got to get this together. Or I got to see this. Or I got to do this. Or I, gotta, I won't feel safe until. Come on, somebody. Every relationship in your life is not a valuable relationship. Right. Every relationship in your life doesn't need to be a. I'm just going to. Oh, yeah. will define relationships. Come on, right? You will know who to fight for and who will fight for you. When David showed up and Saul told him he couldn't do it, uh, David knew through obscurity who he was fighting for. David said two key things. He said, I'm fighting, listen, I'm fighting for the Lord, for the armies of the Lord. Are you catching that? He didn't say, Saul, I'm doing this for you. He didn't say, I'm doing it for myself. He didn't say, I'm doing it for my brothers. He said, I am fighting this Philistine and I'm going to slay him because he has defied the armies of the Lord. Obscurity will define for you relationships and relationships will be defined because you will know who to fight for and who We'll fight for you. It's a hard time. It's a hard thing, though, to define those kind of relationships, to discern the relationships that you need to fight for. Come on. Because, you know, the way we teach here is everybody's valuable to God. Right? Are you hearing me? I believe that. Do you believe that? Are you listening to me? Yeah. I want to, because I'm about to say something that might challenge you a little bit, all right? Everybody's valuable to God. Everybody holds value in your life. Come on, somewhere. But everybody ain't worth your time. Right. Oh, but Fred, I love them. I want to be around them. I love them. They are dragging you down. They're pulling you down into their cave over and over. You are, come on, there's no light in the relationship. And here's what happens. 
Everybody doesn't deserve access to the secret places of your life. Everybody don't get to see you fight lions and bears. There's some battles that's reserved for a few. Obscurity will define those relationships, amen? You will learn who to trust and who not to trust. Amen, Now people go, oh man, that's so hard right now. That, that's just hard for it. It's hard. It's hard. It's just harsh, baby. It ain't hard. That's truth. If you've been living for a little bit, you know what I'm talking about, right? Come on. Amen. <laughs> you got some folks that you're like, ah, oh, nah. I'll never have to see them again, <laughs> right? <laughs> you got some friends like that? You got people that are like, come on, I ain't never. I don't even have to ever see him again, and I'm good. Amen. Pastor, you sound mean. Hey, you call what you want to call. Obscurity will also birth selfless passion. Selfless passion. You will always place others first. David came out of his obscurity, out of his growing, out of his fighting battles that nobody could see, he desired and learned how to fight at battles by placing other people first. Listen, listen. He had a desire to place people first because he learned how to place sheep first. Are you hearing me? He risked his life for sheep, which made it worth it for him to risk his life for people. He risked his life for animals, for cattle. Come on. They're not cattle. They're not, you, you get what I'm saying. Some of y'all like, get, get your definitions right, Pastor. He risked his life for that, which made it easier for him to understand how to have that same kind of selfless passion for people. Amen? Obscurity will teach you to learn to love people even when they're unlovable. Amen? That doesn't mean they deserve all the time, but they don't deserve hate. I may be okay with never seeing a person again, but if I see them, I'm not going to be like, oh, my God, my life is over because I saw you at the grocery store. It's the end of my world. What happened? God, I thought I told you that I didn't want to see them again. Are you hearing me? We learn how to have selfless passion, even if, oh, can I just say something? Can I say it? Can I just be real as the pastor right quick? Can I, y'all okay? Even that, because there's people I don't like, believe it or not, okay? There's people that I just, you know, I won't say I don't like them. I struggle heavily, heavily with them as people, you know, and why they get to wake up in the morning. <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's people that I struggle with, okay, that I pray for constantly by praying for myself. 
But if I were to see them being harmed, no matter what my struggle is with them, I'm going to step up to help if they're in help need. Why? Because I know there's people that struggle with me, and I probably deserve it because of some of the things I've done in my past. Amen. Hallelujah. Come on. Some of the hearts I broke in my past. Amen. Are you catching me? So I don't deserve the love that God gives me. But God in his infinite wisdom and love said, I see you being harmed and I'm not going to pass by it even though you really don't deserve this. I'm going to lay down my life. Come on, somebody. Obscurity will burst selfless passion. Also, obscurity will ignite fearless courage. You will fight for yourself. Somebody say, fight for yourself. Somebody say, all I do is win. See, the trick of the enemy is to get you to believe that you are not strong enough, well-prepared enough, able enough, shouldn't enough, whatever it may be, enough. And the trick of the enemy is to get you to believe that so you don't even fight for yourself. The trick of the enemy is to get you to believe that you are a victim and not a victor. The trick of the enemy is to get you to believe the lie that you have lost the battle when the Bible says very clearly that we have already won the battle. The trick of the enemy is to get you to believe that you are the one fighting for you. Come on, somebody. That's the trick of the enemy. But the, re- the reality is the Bible teaches over and over that God is fighting our battle. He's fighting on behalf of us. He is our Lord and Savior. He is our King. He is winning the battles. He's fighting those things for us. It tells us over and over that if God is for us, then who can be against us? If God is on our side, then nobody, no man can stand against If God is going for me, nobody can stand against me. I had a friend who passed away uh, a couple years ago. He used to say this all the time when he would start his stuff. He would say, if, if the Lord be for you, who in the world can be against you? And it's such a good reminder that if God is for you, who can be against you? Amen. And I like to take it either further. If God is for you, who or what can be against you? Come on. What can be against you? And if you need to go further, who, what, or why can be against you? It doesn't matter why they think you deserve it. Come on, somebody. It doesn't matter if God is for you, who can be against you? I need some of y'all to hear this today because you need this reminder. God is for you. God is for you. He is watching over you. He is protecting you. And if he is for you, who can be against you? David, in obscurity, learned how to not only fight for the sheep, but he learned how to fight for himself. He says this, he says, when I would deliver the sheep out of his mouth, and then when he would turn and come after me, I would kill him. Oh, are you catching what I'm saying? There is a difference between fighting for others and fighting for yourself. You hear me? There's a big difference. 
And when you learn and when you journey through this thing enough, you begin to learn and understand that sometimes nobody else is going to fight for you. You got to fight for you. Nobody else is going to show up for you. You got to show up for you. Nobody else is going to encourage you. You got to learn how to encourage yourself. Nobody else is going to stand up and tell you that you are a daughter of the God, of God. You got to learn how to tell yourself, I'm a daughter of the Lord. Nobody else is going to tell you that you are a son of God. You got to learn how to tell yourself, I'm a son of God. Nobody else is going to tell you that you're accepted. They're going to tell you over and over that you're rejected. But you got to learn how to stand for yourself and say, no, I am fully accepted by the Lord. I have a seat at his table. I am not who the world says I am. I am not what society says I am. And I will not fall prey to those words. There are moments in my life and maybe in your life, but I know in my life where I have to stand up and I have to encourage myself. This morning, I had to encourage myself. Now, I wasn't working around here screaming and yelling at him, but I had to internally, I was going, you know what? No, 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 no. The devil is a liar. I'm not going to let this get me. Uh-uh. No leak in the building is going to have a leak in my soul. Come on, somebody. I got to get creative with them words. Come on, right? No crack in the roof is going to crack my heart. Come on, somebody. <laughs> the building, because the building's broke, don't mean my spirit broke. Come on, somebody. Got to learn how to encourage yourself. You got to learn how to speak to yourself and tell yourself, you are God's beloved. You are God's chosen one. You are the loved one of the Father. He learned how to courage to fight for himself. The reality is lion and bear is going to come after you. Goliath is going to come after you. And every time ain't going to be nobody to fight for you all the time. David fought Goliath in front of an army by himself. They watched and did not contribute. Obscurity will shift perspective. Obscurity will shift your perspective. Why say shift your? What am I saying? Every giant looks the same when you've learned to win in obscurity. Say this with me. Every giant looks the same when I learn to win in obscurity. David said to Saul, listen to these words. I fought lion and bear. When they took one, I went after them, took it back. When he came around, he came after me. I struck him, killed him, all these things. And then he goes on and says these words. Listen, these are some key words. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. <laughs> David said, this dude, as tall as he is, 
still looks like a lion and a bear to me. I fought lion and bear. I fought some pretty hard battles. I fought some things that could have taken me out. I fought some stuff that should have taken me out. I fought some stuff that I shouldn't have won. I dealt with some stuff. I've gone through some things that should have taken me out. I walked through some journeys and some battles that should have taken me out. And guess what? They did not take me out. And this one that I'm looking at right now ain't going to take me out either. Because you know what? I'm going to look at this one and I'm going to remember that I won over here. I'm going to look at this one and know that the, the same God that delivered me from the hand of the lion and the bear is the same God that will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. I'm going to look at it and say, this is not a different battle. Because it's a different person. Because I've learned how to win no matter what I'm facing. I've learned how to win in obscurity. I've learned how to win when nobody saw my battles. I learned that when I went through the trials and the tribulations where I was heartbroken and I cried and I dealt with pain and I dealt with stuff in my own way late at night, tears shedding, things going down, I know then that I learned to win then. And I can win now. I learned, like Romans 8 says, that all things work together for those who love the Lord. I learned that if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Yes, I had some old things, and yes, they were hard, and they were things, and, and, and things I went through, but I learned then to win and now I can win in this moment I've been through battles I've been through trials and I learned how to win then what's different now oh my god listen I'm, listen, for some of you, this resonates more than ever because there are men in here who have actually been in battle. And you've come out on the other side. And it changes your life. It shifts your perspective. You look at things, you're like, well, you know, that's bad, but try having a couple bullets flying over your head and ducking and doing all that stuff. That'll change your perspective on life. And the battles that you face. Amen? I'm not, it's not to discount anybody's grief or anybody's challenge or any, what anybody walks through. But when you've seen things and you've gone through things, you begin to see and go through things differently now because of what you went through shapes how you go through what you're going to go through. And if you learn that and you walk away and you say, I won then. Guess what? I'm going to win now. And this is how we can stand to say, all I do is win. But, 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 but in the moment, it don't seem like I'm winning. <laughs> well, you know, I've, I've dealt with this before. Let me sit you down, young bug. Let me school you right quick. Come on. I want to be one of them old men like that, you know. 
come, come, come sit at grandpa's table, let me tell you. There was a time in 2022, your granddaddy walked in church, he was pouring down rain inside the building. And I was for sure that everybody was going to watch online, but the Lord still sent more people than I could ever imagine on that Sunday. Let me school you a little bit. No matter what you're facing, what you're going through, God is faithful. This is what I love. You know, when the children, they're, they're crossing over the Jordan. And he tells them, he says, go put these stones in the middle of the Jordan. Twelve stones. So they'd be testimonies for generations to come of how God delivered you. And to this day, those stones are still there. Serving as a testimony of how God delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt. If he did it before, he'll do it again. If you won here, you can win there. Because you are victorious. You are a victor, not a victim. And I know we walk through hard trials and tribulations. I know we face some tough stuff. But every giant looks the same when you've learned to win in obscurity. David beat Goliath that day because he learned when nobody was looking who he was in Christ. He learned who he was. He learned what he was capable of. And most importantly, he learned the real reason he needed to fight which was for the armies of the Lord what am I saying I'm saying to you this listen listen I'm saying to this I want you to hear me hear me very clearly we are in a season of developing and understanding who God has called us to be why do we do these series? Why do we do these things? Why am I preaching these messages over and over? Why am I so focused on uh, this year, one of the things for our church's maturity? I am asking God over and over, God, please teach us. Let us get grounded. Let us get confident. Let us get settled in who we are in you. Let us get settled in knowing that we are your children. We are not servants. We're not slaves. We're not pushed away. We're not dirty and distant. We're close. We are clean because of who you are and who you made us to be. Because of the work of the cross, the finished work of the cross, I want us to understand over and over that we are God's beloved. We are loved unconditionally. We are accepted fully into the household of God. Amen. Amen? We have a seat at the table. Somebody say, I got a seat at the table. I'm not, I'm not fighting for position. I'm not fighting to be there. I'm not fighting to, to be known or be seen or be in and that. I'm not fighting for any of that. I have a seat at the table. David won that day because of grace on his life. And I want to land this thing this morning just by encouraging you you 
are a winner in God's eyes. It sounds like motivational speaking. We can call it whatever you want to call it, okay? What it ain't is depressed messages that I hear from time to time where you're told that you're not good enough, you're not well enough, you can't do this. You are God's beloved. The Bible is very clear that he has carved a pathway and said and called you victorious. Amen? I was growing up, we used to sing the song, I got the victory. Y'all don't know about that. Victory is mine, victory today is mine. I told Satan, get thee behind me, because victory today is mine. And there are times in my life where I find myself singing that as a declaration of my life. So I have to remind myself, victory is mine. I'm victorious. Amen? Stand with me, Lord. Thank you. I know it sounded like I said, stand with me, Lord. No, I said, stand with me, and then I was praying, okay? Thank you, Lord, for your soft nudge and your reminder that we are victorious. You know, the incredibly significant part of the story, listen, look at me right quick. There's a lot of times we like to put our, we like to put ourselves in David's shoes. But I wanna, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna submit this thought to you real quick. We like to put ourselves in David's shoes. But in all actuality, where we fit in most in the story is in the shoes of the Israelites, the armies of the Israelites. Watch this. They got to watch their champion defeat their giant. David is a representation of Jesus. Defeating our giant and giving us victory. When, they, when David defeats Goliath, the Israelites are named victorious and they didn't raise one weapon. So who, who are we in the story? We're actually the Israelites watching our champion fight on our behalf. Amen? Thank you, Lord. Thank you for being our champion. Thank you for fighting on our behalf. Thank you for taking care of us. God, thank you. We trust you. We lean into you. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. And I pray today that you would remind each one of us that we are your beloved child. We have a seat at your table. And because of that, we are protected. We are fully accepted. And we are victorious. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us here at Prevail Church for this podcast. We hope this experience builds your faith and impacts your life. 
For more information about Prevail Church, visit us online at prevail.tv. Now let's tune in.